this week, I asked a class how they would finish the prompt, In a Perfect World. The answers were fun. In a perfect world, stickers would always peel off clean. In a perfect world, ketchup squeezes out perfectly. In a perfect world, certain unnecessary sequels are never made. After a good laugh, we began talking about what we truly would want to experience in a perfect world. As we started describing heaven on earth, our desire to live in such a place increased. But there was almost an unspoken sigh of someday included in that desire. Well, what if someday was today? What if instead of waiting for heaven, we could start building it now? What if Zion wasn't as far away as we've always thought? Welcome to the Scripture Study Project. We are your hosts, Krista and Zach Horton, and this is our podcast where we study Scripture with you. Our goal each week is to help you discover new or renewed excitement for God and His Word, invest your heart and personal life into your study, and connect with others as you teach and learn together. Hey you guys, welcome back. This is our Old Testament study this year, and we are studying this week in Moses 7, which is a continuation really on our last week's episode, last week's study of more of this in-depth look into Enoch. And what we get a small amount of in the Bible um, is really this extra revelation, extra story, extra in-depth look at what Enoch did to achieve the city of Zion. And this week, it's a little bit even more of that. Yeah. Well, we love Moses 7 because it has a really famous verse in it. Verse 18, the Lord called his people Zion because they were one heart and one mind and dwelt in righteousness and there was no poor among them. And uh, I've studied that at length. It was a great way to kick off a seminary school year is to use that verse and, and talk about how we can become like that now. But uh, in recent studies, I've come to see that there is a lot more to Moses 7. We often stop at verse 18 as if that's all the Lord revealed to Enoch was this is how you make Zion. And then Enoch went and did it and the city was translated. But there's something that Enoch didn't know in verse 18 that he comes to know in the other couple of verses. And I think it is something that is so incredibly important for us to understand as we seek to build Zion, that uh, we do a disservice to ourselves if we don't study the later verses as much as we do some of the more well-known ones. So um, verse 20, came to pass that when Enoch talked with the Lord, he said unto the Lord, surely Zion shall dwell in safety forever. There's Enoch's assumption that because he now knows what Zion should be and has a picture of what needs to happen with his people, Surely this is going to be it. We're going to build Zion. But, says the text, the Lord said to Enoch, Zion have I blessed, but the residue of the people have I cursed. Now that can be problematic to read that, and it'll come up all over in the Old Testament that the Lord cursed people. And when you read the Hebrew, this of course uh, isn't originating from Hebrew, but when you read the Hebrew, uh, there's a lot softer connotation there. It's not God necessarily punishing or cursing people, uh, but there's an allowance of people's agency. So sometimes when we read, I, the Lord cursed, or the Lord cursed someone, it might be better to just substitute in the people turn away from God. In fact, if you look at verse 26, Satan has a great chain in his hand and it veiled the whole face of the earth with darkness and he looked upon them and laughed. 
and his angels rejoiced. And then verse 28, And it came to pass that the God of heaven looked upon the residue of the people, and he wept. And Enoch bore record of it, saying, How is it that the heavens weep and shed forth their tears as the rain upon the mountains? He'll ask that question again in verse uh, 29 and in verse 31. Then he himself will weep in verse 41. Um, towards the end of the verse, that Enoch wept, stretched forth his arms, and his heart swelled wide as eternity, and his bowels yearned, and all eternity shook. And then in verse 44, he weeps and refuses to be comforted. Uh, verse 49, the earth itself mourns. And all of this comes as the Lord answers Enoch's question of why are you weeping in verses 32 and 33. The Lord said unto Enoch, Behold, these thy brethren, they're the workmanship of mine hands. And I gave unto them their knowledge, and that day I created them. In the garden of Eden gave I unto man his agency. And unto thy brethren have I said, and also given commandment, that they should love one another, and that they should choose me, their father. But behold, they are without affection, and they hate their own blood. And then in verse 37, towards the end of the verse, the whole heavens shall weep over them, even all the workmanship of mine hands. Wherefore, should not the heavens weep, seeing these shall suffer? In other words, the thing that Enoch misunderstood back in verse 18 is, yes, maybe his group of people, his small collection of people had understood what Zion is and were beginning to become a Zion-like people. But the Lord's plan isn't just for a select group of people to become like Zion. It's for all to become Zion. And it's for all people to become like Zion now. Well, I think this is also really applicable because of all of the language, all of what we've talked about, what our our current prophet is speaking so much is that gathering of Israel. And I think that's all just related to this building up of people around us and building up of ourselves as we um, gather those interested and gather together those who are scattered. Yeah, in fact, as I studied this, um, the truth that has become clear to me is that the Lord wants to, can, and will help us not just gather people to Zion, but build Zion now. Um, in fact, I have a couple of quotes that uh, came from my study this week. Um, this is Elder Christofferson. We cannot wait until Zion comes for us to be unified and live in righteousness and have no poor. Zion will come only as those things happen. Brigham Young, do you realize that if we enjoy a Zion in time or in eternity, we must make it for ourselves? That all who have a Zion in the eternities of the gods organized, framed, consolidated, and perfected it themselves, and consequently are entitled to enjoy it. In a different place, he says, I have Zion in my view constantly. We're not going to wait for angels or for Enoch and his company to come and build up Zion. We are going to build it. We will raise our wheat, build our houses, fence our farms, plant our vineyards and orchards, and produce everything that will make our bodies comfortable and happy. And in this manner, we intend to build up Zion on earth and purify it and cleanse it from all pollutions. In other words, sometimes when we read Moses 7, we can read, oh, great, Enoch made a Zion-like state, and one day 
we will live in heaven or we'll live in paradise and we will live in Zion too. We'll live in a place where there's no poor among us and where everyone gets along. And the message to Enoch, and I think the message to us is, we're not supposed to wait for it. I think the Lord is showing Enoch there is work to be done on the earth. It is wonderful that there is a group and a city of people that reach this state, but there is so much more work to be done. And even clearer for us, the message today is that the Lord expects us to work at building heaven now. How can we ever hope to have a celestial glory and a celestial kingdom if we don't practice living celestial lives and creating celestial situations and, and cultures and environments for other people now. In fact, if we go back to that verse, verse 18, that the verse that we all know most likely, that um, they were of one heart, one mind, dwelt in righteousness, and no poor among them, I think it's it's kind of helpful to just put that on ourselves as more of an individualistic goal that's a great place to start, right? In our own hearts, in our own minds, and um, that own personal righteousness that we're really striving to understand ourselves, understand those around us, and care for, and really become at one with those around us. Yeah, yeah. I think that's a good way to look at what Zion can be, a great place to start. Yeah. So for this study, to invest our heart and mind into this study, we wanted to pose the question of how do we do that? How do we help the Lord build Zion? How do we do it in our communities and greater places, but also within our own selves? Um, and of course, this is not a question that we will be able to answer for you. It's all going to be very individual. And hopefully this study, like it has for us, will help you um, find those personal answers for yourself or get that personal revelation from God and how you can do those things. But we did find a few things that we thought might be helpful, um, that were helpful for us in answering those for ourselves. And so the first one um, actually comes from verse 21. And I really liked this verse and maybe you will too. I'll read it and maybe you'll pick it out like I did. But as we try and build something, it says, And it came to pass that the Lord showed unto Enoch all of the inhabitants of the earth, and he beheld, and lo, Zion, in process of time, was taken up into heaven. Um, now, the thing that stood out to me in answer to this question of how do we build Zion, you know, just, just a little question of how do we build something <laughs> really perfect and big and awesome um, in process of time. And I think that is probably the first thing that we're going to start with because it's the most important, that it takes patience. It's a process. It takes time. And it is going to take time, that this isn't something that we're going to blink and it will happen Um and that comes first because that's a pretty important thing for us to remember. <laughs> well, I think it's foundational and it also aligns with what we learn repeatedly from the Lord, that he works line upon line and precept upon precept. Um, understanding that we start working on building Zion now can be overwhelming if the expectation is that we start living in Zion now. It's not that we live there now, but that we start working on it. And that work is going to come bit by bit, piece by piece. Yeah. And there were a couple other words that stood out to me. Um, this idea that we need to repent. There were a couple times that the Lord told Enoch in 
that he needed to say unto the people to repent and go to these other people and repent. And those are verses 10 and 12. Um, and there's probably more in that we need to turn to him. And I think that's part of that process, right? This, we know that repentance is a process and we're going to need to do it a few times, lots and lots of times um, as we do this. And it takes patience with ourselves to make that happen. Yeah, yeah. Then the second thing, as we look to build Zion, how can we do that? I think the next thing that we can do that will really help us is prayer. And I love the way that we see, I mean, I think one of my favorite things, we maybe we've overdone this in past episodes, definitely the Doctrine and Covenants, but the the pattern of prayer that we can learn as we read scriptures from prophets, I think is so powerful. And I think that that's what we saw. What One of the first things I noticed in this chapter on Enoch was watching him in prayer. And it wasn't really traditional prayer um, that we get to see him in. But I love that that's where it starts. In verse 2, as I was journeying and stood upon the place, Mahuja. Did I say that right, Zach? <laughs> And cried unto the Lord, there came a voice voice out of heaven saying, turn ye and get ye upon the Mount Simeon. And it came to pass that I turned and went up the Mount. And as I stood upon the Mount, I beheld the heavens open and I was clothed upon the glory. Um, not your traditional thing, but what is it? He was journeying and he was crying unto the Lord. And I even love the thought, look of the idea of him just walking along and then turning and going where the Lord wanted, wanted him to be because he was listening. And he went up to the mountain and he stood there and just beheld. I think a lot of times we, well, there's a few different types of prayer, right? I've been thinking a lot about the idea of petitionary prayer, where it's this very much this, I'm going to ask something and I'm going to get an answer. Or what if the answer isn't the answer that we want? Um, how does that work? But also, as we've been talking a lot um, between the two of us about what is our, what are our prayers supposed to look like? And how do we want them to maybe be more of this type of prayer that we see Enoch having, where he's just listening and just contemplating and maybe a little bit more of a meditative prayer that's just more open. Yeah, it's almost as if, and, and I don't think either of these prayers is wrong. Um, for example, we have many places where the Lord commands us to ask him, and we have uh, wonderfully faithful examples of people asking the Lord either for blessings for themselves or strength or comfort or for things for other people. But what we're seeing Enoch here do isn't a push prayer. He's not putting his desires or his requests upon the Lord, which he could. He's entitled to do that. But in this prayer, he's receiving. He's opening himself up to what God wants to teach him and show him. And it changes Enoch. And I think that's a powerful uh, principle for prayer. Am I seeking in my prayer to ask God something, which again is appropriate and wonderful. And back to the verses too, he did cry unto the Lord sure. as he was journeying. Yeah, yeah. So we don't know what he was necessarily asking for. Or can I, maybe and, or can I open myself up to what the Lord might say to me, what he might show me and what he might have me change about myself. And like you said, Zach, I don't, I don't think that there's necessarily one better than the other or that, there's a 
type of prayer that we need to necessarily be doing, but they kind of build on each other. They're mm-hmm. kind of, they're very complementary in my opinion. And maybe this story stood out to me or resonated me with me in this way, because I think I've had kind of a similar experience. I, I see myself kind of journeying in my own life of, um, coming upon this new stage in my life where I don't have little babies anymore. You know, my kids are going to school and there there's the question of what's next. Like what, what should I be spending my time doing? And I have really, instead of like jumping into, of course, I've asked a lot of questions in prayers and thought a lot about this. Um, but I've done something different this time that I kind of resonated with the story that like, I kind of did this same thing where instead of, um, instead of asking and asking, I've just kind of started to clear things out, like gotten rid of some of the things. And maybe this is like him walking up into the mountain of really clearing things away and making myself more open. And it was actually just this week that I I said to Zach that like, wow, I kind of think I'm getting some answers. Like as I have cleared things away and maybe stepped closer and become more meditative about this prayer that I've had of really wanting guidance and counsel from the Lord on this, um, I had a few thoughts come to my head that just felt right and felt clear. And I realized that that was an answer. Now I was journeying. I wasn't sitting down on my knees with this, but it felt similar to this experience of Enix that um, because I was standing up and listening and clearing open this space, that God was showing me things that were helpful for me. And I love how your experience mirrors Enix's experience. I love this account because you see a progression within Enix because of this kind of vision prayer that he's having with the Lord, he's changing. He's coming to see things differently than maybe he did at the beginning. And it causes an emotional response in him. And I think that's uh, this kind of meditative prayer. I think that's one of the powerful outcomes that can happen when we seek to just learn from, listen to, and receive from the Lord is that we will change. And if we're looking at building Zion, Uh, As you mentioned, sometimes it begins, be all the time, it begins with me changing myself and changing the way I view other people. And that sometimes can only come if we're opening ourselves up to what the Lord wants to teach us and change within us. Well, I think that really leads us perfectly into the next point of um, art for our invest. Um, And actually, if you haven't caught on yet, we do have a little alliteration going on with these three ideas that we have is the first one being patience, the second one prayer, and then the last one is people. And we're going to go back to that verse 18. And the Lord called his people Zion because they were of one heart and one mind and dwelt in righteousness and there was no poor among them. Um, As we look at this question that, or this idea, the Lord wants me to help build Zion now. And how do I do it? The last one is that building Zion takes people. And I think this one can get a little tricky. Maybe that's why I said my answer is I just start with myself and then that's all (laughs) right. But there's definitely more to it. Well, and I love in that verse, we jump to the Zion part and the descriptions of Zion, but maybe skip over the fact that the Lord is calling a people Zion. And as much power as there is in the principle that Zion starts within my own heart, I don't think it ever ends in our own heart. 
there is an expectation for us as covenant disciples of Christ, and certainly as those who are striving to become like our heavenly parents, who themselves create heaven, there's an expectation that we practice creating heaven now, not just within ourselves, but for others, uh, with our family and in our community. And uh, I think this story of Enoch is a powerful place to study that. And it's a tricky one, like you said, because um, this story and the story that's coming up, and actually probably the whole Old Testament, uh, we run into this issue quite often where there is a chosen people who are separated because of their righteousness or their willingness to be obedient. And then there's a people that is left in Enoch or Moses 7. It's the, the residue. Uh, next week, we'll study Noah and the ark. And of course, there's people that are left behind that are caught in the flood. And if we're not careful, we can read these stories and pick up kind of an us versus them mentality where, well, I'm just working on becoming a good member of the church and our church will be Zion and everyone else is left. But if you have listened to anything President Nelson has said over the last couple of years, you know that that is not the attitude we are asked to have and it's contrary to the attitude we're supposed to have which is loving reaching out caring for and seeking to create peace and harmony and and zion and heaven for other people as well whether they fully subscribe to uh, church commandments or church ideals uh, we are covenanted uh, we have covenanted to love others and to seek to create peace and harmony with them and maybe like I did as I studied this chapter this week, it's it can be a little unsettling to read about why are people being separated? Why are they choosing this? Why is this happening? And why are we putting other people on a pedestal? I, I think I, although I'm a geriatric millennial, <laughs> I really like that term, by the way, because um, I'm kind of an old person that claims to be a millennial, but um, I think that the younger generations get this. I see this in my kids where they're this idea for me of this inclusion and this acceptance is kind of a learned behavior almost. Um, but that's not how younger generations are, at least the way, what I've seen is that my kids are so, that's just who they are. That's, they're just so good. And I'd even say the teenagers and Zach says this all the time about the, the younger generations that he's around. They're just very accepting and loving. And that's what it's all about. It's about fairness and inclusion. And so I think that's why sometimes this can be hard when it's this separation and that you see that God is doing it. It's hard to make sense of. Well, as with so many other principles of the gospel, there are balancing principles on one side is the principle of love and uh, acceptance, inclusion, service, ministry. All of those go together. And as you said, there are plenty of us, uh, plenty of the younger generation, hopefully some of us older ones too, uh, that feel that and are good at that. However, that principle without its balancing principle of love, uh, of obedience, uh, is only half of the power that present uh, Oaks talks about this all the time, the, the balance between love and law. And you can sense in his sermons uh, that those aren't exclusionary principles. It's not love or law. It's not acceptance or obedience. It's not uh, loving others or loving God. It's supposed to be both. And the way that Zion is built is be, is when we all come to love and obey God's laws and commandments. But the fact that we 
all have to get there means that there's also a need to love others and reach out and help them as well. And so we don't get to pick or choose. We can't say, well, I'm being obedient to God. And because of that, I'm just going to ignore those that aren't um, or denigrate them or, or separate them. We can't do that anymore if we want to build Zion. At the same time, we can't look at other people with their differences and love them and be accepting of them and then just leave it at that and say, well, that's them and this is me. Uh, we all have to be working together. And so we have to become better at retaining our love for God and our obedience to him and also uh, our love for others and our ability to help motivate change and growth and development. And I don't care if you're talking about a neighborhood or a community or your own family, right? I have to be able as a parent to love God, but my love for my children means I'm also working to help motivate them to love him and obey him as well. Yeah, I think, I mean, it's tricky, right? But I think that's just such an important thing to remember and something we're going to be very practiced at. Like Zach said, as we study the Old Testament next week, we're talking about Noah and the flood. So here it is again, right? It's all throughout. But I really think that um, it's an important piece of building Zion within our own heart and in our own, in our, in our world. And I hope that these three will help you as you figure out what your role is in building Zion um, and what God wants you to do. So again, they were patience, prayer, and people. Well, and the hope that comes from this is, as we mentioned last week in our study, one of the things that separates Enoch from the other prophets listed in that genealogy in Genesis 5 is that Enoch walked with God. And here we've now had two incredible chapters of what exactly happens when someone chooses to walk with God, what they see, what they feel, what happens to them. But I think the hope is, at verse 69, and Enoch and all his people walked with God. And he, meaning God, dwelt in the midst of Zion. And it came to pass that Zion was not, for God received it unto his own bosom, and from thence went forth the saying, Zion is fled. There is a possibility, a probability even, uh, that we, all of us, we, uh, can better love God and better love each other so that we can create heaven on earth now instead of just waiting for it to come later on. I feel convinced that that's a possibility. And hopefully as you study this week, you can sense and feel not just the possibility of it for you, but also the probability or the practicality of it happening. As you ask the question, how can I start building Zion now in my family, in my class, in my quorum, in my ward, in my neighborhood, in my community, in my school? So hopefully some ideas will come to you, both things for you to change in yourself and things that you can do to help lift and love others that can make your world just a little bit more heavenly. Now, before we sign off, we wanna give you a connect idea that helps you uh, connect with others that you might be studying with, whether they're others in your own home, in your ward, or in a class that you might be teaching. And the idea that came this week was that as we seek to study with others, we can help others change. We can help foster change. Um, I'm going to phrase this in seminary terms, but you could use this with family or with a Sunday school class or with a ward. Uh, in teaching, we're often, we know that there's supposed to be something applicable in what we teach. And so good teachers will often ask a question like this somewhere in their lesson. 
how can we apply this to our lives? And we'll have a discussion, hopefully, about how this particular principle can be applied. So if we're talking about building Zion, we could ask the question, how can we apply this to our lives? And we'll have a discussion about, well, we should be more loving and kind to other people. And, uh, and that's great. It's a wonderful discussion. There's a better way to ask that question. The more specific we can be, often the more uh, practical the answers are. So we could say, uh, what's one specific thing you could do to build Zion with a specific member of your family? And maybe we even ask a student or two, who are you thinking about building Zion with? And someone says, I, you know, I'm thinking about my mom. We had an argument this morning. We say, great, what's one specific thing you could do to build Zion, build a Zion-like relationship with your mom? That's a much more specific discussion, and it will give a much more specific idea that the Spirit can work on and prompt. I think there's even a best way to do this, to help foster change. Both of those questions are good, but both of those will just create an idea that we hope will translate into action, but they may not actually create action. So the third is you might say, okay, I love what you said about building Zion with your mom. Let's do this. Can you pull out your phone? And right now, will you send her a text message? that expresses your love for her for her, or commits to do whatever it is that you said you're going to do. Um, when we help people take actual steps in the moment that we're with them, as small as it might be, that helps others to change. As we're studying ourselves, the same thing is applicable. Uh, it's great to look at a block and say, how could I apply this? It's even more uh, uh, powerful to say, what can I do about this right now? And then to get up and do it. So as we do it either for ourselves or for other people, we will uh, feel these truths come into practice in our lives and we will be able to help ourselves grow and others grow. Thank you so much for studying with us this week. Have a wonderful week and a great study.